and welcome to You've Got to Read This, a podcast for those with a passion for reading. Each year, hundreds of thousands of books are published in the U.S. Millions are published worldwide. Join us as we navigate the world of books in hopes of introducing you to something new. I'm Michelle Dubois. And I'm Renee Seinfeld. And you're listening to You've Got to Read This. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. In today's episode, we're going to highlight some short story and essay collections. But before we dive into our book pile today, we wanted to tell our listeners about some wonderful bookstores we recently visited in Chicago, Boston, and New York. The first bookstore we came upon quite by accident during a brief visit to Chicago. We were going out for breakfast in the Wicker Park neighborhood. Michelle parked, and as we were getting out of the car, I looked up into this huge window full of books. I think I said, books! It was such a happy accident. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was your expression. (laughs) The bookstore is called Semicolon. It's a black woman-owned bookstore on Division Street in the Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. And one of the booksellers there told us that they'd only recently moved to the Wicker Park location, a much larger store than their previous one. This store is really spacious with ample seating, so you can grab a couple of books, sit down, and take your time ruminating over your selection before checking out. They even have a small bar where you can grab a drink. With its concrete floors, area rugs, and the original artwork painted on the tall brick walls, it's really just a beautiful space. This was my first visit to Chicago's Wicker Park neighborhood, and it was really fun, full of vibrant restaurants and cafes. You know, our 17-year-old nephew who was with us thought the bookstore was awesome. Mm -hmm. He said he'd never been to a bookstore that played rap music in the background, and he thought that was so cool. Yeah, I have to say that was a first for me, too. (laughs) It worked. Uh, Our second bookstore visit was in Boston, a little closer to home for us. This bookstore is named More Than Words, and it's located just south of Chinatown on East Berkeley Street. This bookstore is a nonprofit organization that works with young people who are either in the foster care system, involved in the court system, have dropped out of school, or are homeless. Participants in their program work 20 hours a week for the nonprofit, learning how to operate a business. They do inventory, customer service, they process donations, and learn computer skills. More Than Words has two locations, the one we visited in Boston and also one in Waltham, Massachusetts. They also have used book donation drop boxes all over Massachusetts. So if you live in Massachusetts and want to donate some books, you can go to their website, mtwyouth.org, and find used book drop boxes near you. They can also schedule used book pickups to your home as well. The Boston store that we visited is a huge space with an industrial vibe. The store has tall brick walls and a huge storefront window, letting in a lot of natural light. They've got a fun urban vibe with lots of seating. The bookstore is a mix of new and used books, records, and gifts. The store is so spacious that they actually rent it out as event space. You know, I'm not usually a used bookstore person because I find used bookstores sometimes a little chaotic and disheveled. Their used book section did not feel like this at all. In fact, overall, their used book section felt very curated, and it was literally the most orderly and clean bookstore I've ever been to. It's such a great store. Yeah, I enjoyed that visit. More Than Words is definitely a place worth checking out. And finally, we were in Brooklyn, New York this past weekend, where we visited two bookstores, Books Are Magic and McNally Jackson Books. Books Are Magic is a corner bookstore on the intersection of Smith and Butler Street. 
This is a medium-sized bookstore, wonderfully organized with a well-curated selection of books. When we were there on a Sunday afternoon, it was bustling with customers, giving the store a really loved vibe. Within walking distance to Books Are Magic is McNally Jackson Books. McNally Jackson is a two-story bookstore located inside City Point Mall, situated on Fulton Street and Flatbush Avenue. The woodwork in this store, just they just they it just got me. Um, along the left-hand side of the store, when you walk in, is an immense bookcase spanning two full stories. And the craftsmanship of the shelving within the staircase that goes upstairs is so unique, so beautiful. On the second floor is the fiction section and the kids section. But the fiction section, number one, it's huge. And two, it's creatively divided into regions of the world. So there's an American literature section. There's a Latin American and Caribbean literature section. There's a Mediterranean section, Central and Eastern Europe, African, Nordic, French. I've never seen a bookstore fiction section organized in that manner. And it was it was really wonderful. Yeah, similarly, I really liked that they had a large table on the first level featuring books recently translated mm -hmm. into English. I think it's so important that we read works from other parts of the world. But, you know, we can only do that if they're translated into a language that we know and understand, of course. A great feature to this bookstore and so wonderful how prominently they displayed these works of literature. If you're listening to the show and are a literary traveler, meaning when you travel for business or on vacation and you seek out local bookstores, the next time you're in New York, go to Brooklyn. There are five or six indie bookstores within walking distance to, to each other. Books Are Magic, the Center for Fiction, McNally Jackson, Greenlight Bookstore, and Community Bookstore. You can make a day of shopping, walking to the next store, eating, and exploring some great bookstores. So instead of a pub crawl, you could do a book crawl. And they have a book crawl. Now, I'd, I'd much prefer going to a book crawl than a bar crawl. You know, when, <laughs> I was leaving, when I was leaving Books Are Magic, they had these cards. It, I think it was coming up or it had just happened. With On the back of each card, you can stamp each bookstore you've been to. A little and passport. Yeah, was, I think it was a little independent bookstore day kind of. All right, next year. On. Definitely. With Mother's Day right around the corner, Consider giving a book of short stories or essays to the busy mom in your life. The beauty of short stories or a book of essays is that the reader doesn't have to commit themselves to a full novel. The length of essays and short stories can range from as little as 3 to 50 pages and can be finished in under an hour, making them perfect for reading before bed or during a break in a busy day. If you want to get your mother something light and funny, we recommend the following two comedic memoirs by author Shirley Jackson. Most people know the author Shirley Jackson for her scary short story, The Lottery, and for her horror novels, The Haunting of Hill House and We Have Always Lived in the Castle. While Shirley Jackson spent a lot of time scaring millions of Americans, she also was a wife and mother of four children. Few people know that there was also a funny side to Shirley Jackson, so much so that she had two satirical parenting memoirs published. From 1948 to 1952, Shirley Jackson wrote numerous essays and stories about motherhood that were published in magazines like Mademoiselle and Good Housekeeping. These articles were eventually published in book form in 1953, with a second book published in 1957. Her sharp humor is evident before even starting each book, for the book titles are Life Among the Savages and Raising Demons. I just finished Life Among the Savages, and you, Michelle, read the sequel Raising Demons. I know, great titles. I love Shirley Jackson's wit. 
One of my favorite stories from her book, Raising Demons, takes place after a week of mayhem and ill-behaved children. She's at the end of her rope, so she grabs a sheet of drawing paper and with a black crayon writes across the top, ultimatum. Beneath it, she writes a list of restrictions on household privileges, including a cut on the kids' allowance, an earlier bedtime for all, and an all-out ban on other people's children popping in for meals without prior approval. She posts her ultimatum in the kitchen for all to see. The kids, in turn, of course, post their own sheet of drawing paper that reads, Our Terms, (laughs) signed by all four children in crayon. Like this is a negotiation, which in some respects was surprisingly smart negotiating tactic on the kids' part. (laughs) So that readers can envision the setting and put these memoirs into context. When Shirley Jackson wrote her stories, she and her husband were living in Bennington, Vermont, Her husband was a professor at an all-girls college, and Shirley Jackson was already a published author. Oddly, she never talks about being an author in her memoir, Raising Demons, which surprised me. You know, in in the book that I read, she mentioned being an author only once, and it was in a story where, where she talked about going into labor with her third child. She was checking in, and the receptionist asked, well, what's your occupation? And she said, I'm a writer. The receptionist said, okay, housewife. (laughs) Shirley Jackson said, I'm a writer. The receptionist said, okay, I'll just put down housewife. (laughs) It was just inconceivable to the receptionist that a woman could have a career as a writer in the late 1940s, I guess. So she thought writing could only be a hobby, I guess. Oh boy. (laughs) You know, and although the books are memoirs, both are written in a short story format, like small little vignettes. They're stories of family episodes, most of them comical, some of them challenging. For me, her book, Raising Demons, conjured images of Leave it to Beaver, depicting a white middle-class nuclear family with a dog and a cat, in their case, several cats, and all the mishaps of an otherwise happy family. For a writer who has historically been credited for being an acclaimed storyteller of horrors and thrillers, I was surprised to discover the witty and, dare I say, average, ordinary side of her. Hmm. In these memoirs, she seems to enjoy poking fun at the chaos of family life, marriage, and child-rearing. From topics about endless home repairs to sibling rivalry, Jackson shares personal moments of her family with the determination of revealing the comedy in an otherwise stressful situation. I got the impression that the act of writing for her was almost therapeutic. Mm. You can either go crazy from the stress or find the humor in it. That's what that's what it felt like yeah. throughout. One of my favorite stories in Life Among the Savages is when she decided to take three of her four young children on the public bus to a department store to go buy them new clothes. Her Sounds daughter, like a disaster already. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> her daughter, Janie, insisted on bringing her baby doll and carriage and her invisible friend, Linda, <laughs> on this shopping excursion. Janny during the bus ride got more and more upset because people kept sitting on Linda because she was invisible. By the time the whole family got off the bus, Janny had added three invisible children to her entourage <laughs> in addition to Linda. So while J- Shirley Jackson is trying to manage the chaos of hurting her children on and off the escalator, Janny, mimicking her mother, dramatically tries hurting her invisible children and Linda on and off the escalator. (laughs) And she says, Linda, watch your steps getting off the escalator. Susan, be careful. Linda, jump now. Barbara, help Linda. Marilyn, wait your turn. And Shirley Jackson just snapped. Janny, please, they can get off the escalator themselves. And then she was so embarrassed. Uh, uh, Everyone in the store was stopped and looking (laughs) at her. Um, That was just delightful. 
Other vignettes in the book included a disastrous sleepover party, funny parent and teacher conferences, the time the whole Jackson household was sick with the flu, and the time when her husband decided to get a BB gun to kill a rat in the basement. I don't think he ever got the rat, (laughs) (laughs) but she wrote about an incident where the cat carried a chipmunk into the kitchen, her husband ran to get the BB gun, and mayhem was unleashed in the house, and thankfully the children were already off to school at that (laughs) point, but they're just, the stories are delightful, the things her kids say are so precious and hysterical, her son Lawrence was hysterical, and it's an all-around fun book if someone's looking for something entertaining and uplifting. Mm Mm-hmm. And whether you have a new mom in your life, a frazzled mother of many, or a seasoned grandmother, these books will delight and tickle the funny bone of anyone who's ever cared for a child or heard of them. (laughs) These books, again, are Life Among the Savages and Raising Demons by Shirley Jackson. Both editions that we read were published by Penguin in 2015. By true coincidence, our next featured short story collection received a Shirley Jackson Award in 2009, The Shirley Jackson Awards are given to works that have elements of psychological suspense, horror, or dark fantasy. Tunneling to the Center of the Earth by Kevin Wilson was appropriately honored with this award during the Conference on Imaginative Literature. Wilson's 11 stories in this collection are truly imaginative, and yet they are anchored to reality. Hedging on truth disguised in fiction, Wilson's outlandish stories include characters of all ages and stages of life, each of them grappling with some kind of internal or external conflict. The stories range from humorous and somber to downright nutty and always imaginative. To give you a taste of Wilson's creativity, the very first story in this collection introduces us to a woman who was paid to act as a fill-in grandmother for several different families. The story is appropriately called grand stand-ins. The woman's employer hires pretend grandparents for children of families whose actual grandparents are either deceased or absent from their lives for a variety of reasons. Mostly hilarious, the story does have a sadness to it with a moral dilemma at its core. And then there's a story about a guy who works at a factory manufacturing the little wooden tiles for the board game Scrabble. This one tickled my funny bone. I laughed uncontrollably for several minutes, envisioning the scene in which employees are on the factory floor, knee-deep in tiny lettered tiles, and their individual tasks are to collect tiles of just a single letter of the alphabet. Bonuses are paid to workers who collect the most tiles in a given shift. It's hysterical. But the story that really spoke to me was the 11th and final story in this all-around quirky collection of shorts, titled Worst Case Scenario. This story is a cautionary tale about overthinking the dangers that are present in everyday life. Wilson was definitely channeling his inner insurance adjuster when he wrote this one. In this satirical story, catastrophe agents employed by Worst Case Scenario Inc. offer their clients full risk assessments in their homes and businesses. Everything from child-proofing someone's home to itemizing every possible death trap for an amusement park is part of the job. Remember now, Kevin Wilson was given the Shirley Jackson Award for this short story collection, so his stories include a combination of psychological suspense, horror, or dark fantasy. His humor is dark, but he will make you laugh while pondering the wonders and tragedies of life. My first introduction to this author was for his novel, Nothing to See Here, published in 2019 by Echo, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. 
The narrator for the audiobook, Marin Ireland, was given an Audi Award for Best Female Narrator in 2020, and was this so well-deserved. Her voice and her reading of the book brought the characters to life, especially to Wilson's damaged and lovable protagonist, Lillian. I highly recommend both the audiobook and paperback version of Nothing to See Here if you want to read something funny, touching, and absolutely bonkers. Born, raised, and still residing in Tennessee, Kevin Wilson is a white male writer and teacher. As a graduate of the MFA program at the University of the South, Wilson teaches fiction at his alma mater and helps to run the Sewanee, Tennessee Writers' Conference. His published works include The Family Fang, Nothing to See Here, Perfect Little World, and the short story collection reviewed here entitled Tunneling to the Center of the Earth, which was published in 2009 by Echo. Our next book is an essay collection entitled Thin Places by Jordan Kissner. The book is a compilation of 13 essays about a wide variety of topics, many having to do with identity and pockets of American subcultures. What I particularly enjoyed about Thin Places is the author's excitement and inquisitive nature throughout the whole book. You can see how intriguing she finds people and how much she enjoys learning about people, and her curiosity is contagious. Each essay gave me an opportunity to learn about and experience American subcultures that I would never normally come across in my day-to-day life. In one essay, for example, Jordan Kistner meets and interviews a group of hipster evangelical Christians from Montauk, New York, who drink alcohol and frequently go out clubbing and go to raves. Another essay is about a small border town in Texas, a town that's 96% Hispanic, that has a Martha Washington debutante ball every year. And it's a big deal. A really big deal. The high school girls who are contestants at this debutante ball are required to wear five different 1700s era gowns during the course of the event. These gowns can weigh up to 100 pounds and cost thousands of dollars. Some gowns are ten dollars to $15,000. I'd never heard of this debutante ball, and it was just fascinating. Another essay involves sitting in on someone having brain surgery. It is a type of surgery called deep brain stimulation that is successfully used to treat Parkinson's tremors. The treatment is now experimentally being tested to treat people with severe OCD. The woman having the surgery had the obsessive fear that she was accidentally or intentionally going to kill someone. Her obsessive thoughts were so debilitating that she no longer drove, she removed all of the knives out of her house. After all treatments for her failed, she hoped this brain stimulation surgery would disrupt the repetitive thoughts. This was a fascinating essay. And finally, one of my favorite essays was about a group of Mormon women from Utah who in 2017 began a movement called Mormon Women for Ethical Government. This group grew to 5,000 women and the movement began in response to Donald Trump's policies. The 2016 elections for the first time created a division in the Mormon vote. Only 61% of Mormons voted for Donald Trump in 2016, when historically the Mormon vote was unanimously conservative. Though Jordan Kissner does not mention or suggest this at all, to be very clear, I can't help but wonder if the influence of these women influenced Mitt Romney's backbone in speaking out against Donald Trump over the past several years. 
The content of these essays are so varied and intriguing. I found myself excited to move on to the next essay every time I finished one. What I also enjoyed about this book is that in her pursuit of learning about other people, the author, Jordan Kisner, also finds herself and shares that experience with the reader. I highly recommend the book as they're essays that you can come back to again and again. The title again is Thin Places by Jordan Kisner. It was published in 2020 by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. Jordan Kisner is a white and Mexican-American author. She is a contributing writer for The Atlantic and New York Times Magazine. She also teaches creative writing at Columbia University in New York. Her first name is spelled J-O-R-D-A-N. Her last name is spelled K-I-S-N-E-R. Thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This. All of the books we discussed today can be purchased on our bookshop page by clicking the link in notes. Make sure to check out as a guest when you make your purchase, and we will receive a portion of each sale that goes to the production of this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd appreciate it if you give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.